Welcome to the Simply Financial Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Calandra. Let's increase your financial IQ with today's episode. I'm calling today's episode, The Future Is Now. This title comes to me from research done by Franklin Templeton, uh, a terrific first-class investment company with, uh, I think they've been around over 70 years. I asked uh, their vice president, who covers the Connecticut region, where my head office is. Uh, his name is Michael DeAngelis. Great guy to join me today to talk about this research, The Future Is Now. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining me today. Chris, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. So I really like this Future Is Now topic because I believe that the change produced by the pandemic is profound and wide reaching. And I don't know if people realize how much it's impacted our daily lives and how it will continue to be impactful over the years to come. First off, just you kind of agree with that premise? I do agree with that premise, yeah. You've seen the pace of change accelerate and the adoption of change has massively accelerated. Yeah, so it seems, and, and this is um, a thought that I have, but I think this has you know, been around a lot, is the idea that if there was a trend in place before the pandemic, it likely accelerated during the pandemic. That makes sense, right? It does. I mean, I think e-commerce is a great example. You know, it's estimated that 13% of sales occur online, and uh, you've obviously seen that increase during the pandemic. What's interesting too is historically, e-commerce was big with toys. I know that having a four-year-old, it was big <laughs> with clothing. Uh, but now you're starting to see it in areas like automobiles. So it's encroaching on new verticals. But uh, as far as adoption, you know, I look at my father, who is, uh, you know, he's late 60s. And I don't think, uh, I'm sure he's been on Amazon.com, maybe, but I don't think he ever placed an order on it before the pandemic. And now he utilizes it. So, you know, people were kind of forced into it. And now, uh, obviously, they understand the ease and efficiency of it. And they're more locked in. Yeah, definitely so. And I know in, in my practice here, Mike, and this is not a commercial for Zoom, but the adoption and willingness of people to do remote meetings was already in place. Again, a trend that was prevailing. It just accelerated, you know, people that never would have entertained doing a business meeting over Zoom or a similar platform with their accountant or attorney or business partner, whatever, you know, now seemingly like everybody says, yeah, all right, that's okay. And, and it's amazing how that just blew up. And I think it's mostly beneficial. So I think it's um, a thing of progress, not that it doesn't have its underbelly. Can you think of some other examples other than what we just talked about? Yeah, I mean, online payments, I think is a big one. You know, you've really seen the adoption of that increase, people becoming more comfortable with things like uh, PayPal or Venmo, um, and that's going to continue to evolve as we speak. Um, healthcare, you know, obviously it was a massive effort with governments and healthcare companies to develop an effective vaccine as fast as they did. And it really spanned across the healthcare um, sector, so to say, whether it was the mass testing that's been employed, whether it was 
you know, new fields in genomics and artificial intelligence um, to develop that vaccine at a rapid pace. So yeah, I think Zoom's a great example, payments, healthcare. I mean, you know, really across the whole innovation technology landscape, you've seen some yeah. massive changes. And, and it's not just the adoption within purely the technology phase, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. it's in verticals, it's affecting the financial services industry, the healthcare industry. You know, you mentioned cars, you know, the way we shop and buy price discovery, valuing our trade-ins, just a remarkable amount of change that seemingly happened overnight. It didn't happen overnight, but it happened way faster than it would have happened in previous generations. You mentioned, Mike, the vaccine rollout. I think it's a shame. This is a personal opinion, of course. I think it's a shame that that kind of got tied up in the politics of the moment because it seems to me, regardless of your views on the Trump administration, the Biden administration, Dr. Fauci, setting that all aside, it was such an amazing feat to develop multiple vaccines in such a short period of time. I think it's sort of a shame that the country didn't celebrate that accomplishment more than they did, because it seems to me it's deserving and it shows how terrific the U.S. economy is, how adaptable it is, how dynamic it is, how innovative it is. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think it was the public and private sector coming together in a very fast manner and, you know, creating something, again, effective far faster than people estimated when the pandemic began. And, um, you know, I think it's one thing that has led us to getting back to a normal life faster than maybe people anticipated. Yeah, getting yeah, back I think it's, a, yeah, I think, um, like I said, I, I wish there was more um, no taken in what an accomplishment that was for all of the players, whether you like them or not, who participated in it. I think that's sort of a shame. But moving on, as we record this episode, Mike, the market is in the midst of a difficult start to 2022, to say the least. There's a, there's a lot going on. But um, the research that I, I got from Franklin Templeton, this Future Is Now uh, research, shows that previous economic downturns did not slow innovation. So thinking about kind of where we are today, as well as what's occurred during the pandemic with the pace of change increasing. Do you think any signs that this pattern is intact? Yeah, Chris, it's a good point. I mean, we went through a brutal um, but short-lived recession in March of 2020 with COVID. And it's interesting. I think it's counterintuitive. But if you look at past episodes, difficult times economically has actually spurred a lot of innovation. And I think it's human ingenuity. You know, during difficult times, you look at problems differently. Perhaps you're forced into it. Um, it can spur innovation to, or spur entrepreneurship, I should say, because of the tough labor market. And you've actually seen some preeminent companies founded during difficult economic times, whether you look way back to the early 1900s with IBM, you look back to, uh, I believe, what, the 1970s with McDonald's, or you look back to the global financial crisis. Companies like Pinterest, companies like Square, companies like Airbnb were all founded during that time. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, kind of, I think, a testament, again, to, uh, like you said, the creativity, the adaptability, 
of humanity, where a lot of these leading businesses historically have been founded during difficult economic times. Entrepreneurship, I think, is alive and well in this country. Yeah. Yes, I uh, I agree with that. There's um, I'm trying to think, and I'm going to screw this up, so maybe I should keep my mouth shut. But isn't there an expression something like uh, necessity is the mother, mother of all invention? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all necessity right. is the mother of all invention. You had exactly right, Chris. I never did. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> So, you know, also right now, as we record this, and I've talked about it in other episodes of the show, it seems as though there's more than a fair amount of just general doom and gloom. I think in particular right now, this year, the country seems to be in a little bit of a sour mood. Some of it's politics, some of it's the war in Europe, some of it's the jarring impact of inflation, the hangover from the pandemic. There's lots of reasons for it. But I also think just with maybe social media today, there's more than your fair share of the sky is falling and everything's going to fall apart. I mean, there's just a certain percentage of the, the dialogue out there that just seems to be so unbelievably negative. And that's probably always been around, perhaps more pronounced now because of technology and, and the way that we communicate and information or opinions are transmitted. But you had some great discussion items around this topic of are we better off today? Could you talk to the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I do think, you know, kind of just studying history, you're right. There is always a sense of, you know, things are about to end, right? Or, you know, just, I don't know, it seems like one of those characteristics of human nature. But um, in 2018, the world crossed a significant tipping point. About half the world was considered to be middle class at that standpoint. And let me define how you know middle class we think of it, because there's probably no term with more definitions than middle class. Um, we think of it like you can afford to purchase non-essential items such as cars, household appliances, or travel. So in 2018, half the world considered middle class, they could do those things. If you look at the pace of adoption of uh, higher education, uh, by 2040, it's expected to increase by 200% enrollments in terms of higher education. And, you know, why I bring this up, talk about, you know, middle-class wealth, talk about education with more enrollments at higher education, this tends to be tied into increased life expectancy. So we continue to think that, you know, the global life expectancy will increase as it has historically and uh, by 2048, and again, this is global, it's expected that life expectancy is 77 years. So things have improved, in our opinion, and we believe they'll continue to improve. Yeah, I think demonstrably they have. And it's not as though there aren't problems for this country to solve and problems for the world to tackle. But I'm thinking, uh, I was with, um, I heard a presentation, it was not Franklin Templeton, another first class investment company. And the speaker said something, I'll probably screw up the numbers, Mike, but generally speaking, he said when he started his career in the early 80s, world poverty, or maybe it was extreme poverty, was like 44%. And today it's like eight or 9%. And so oftentimes, if I peruse the internet or Twitter, I could find things that say, you know, poverty's never been this bad in the world, or 
other things that make you seem like the sky is falling. But when you when you look at this historic statistics, real statistics, and these are not some uh, made up kind of thing, you know, the world is getting better and there's still significant issues. But um, it seems to me there's there's in many instances too much negativity, ex especially extreme negativity. And to that point, what we're talking about, the pace of change and innovation and technology, it's leading to better lives, um, better lives, more, more efficiencies. Again, it's not to say that there aren't problems. This stuff is really good though. You think about the smartphone, how much it's added to our lives. I think it's amazing. There is an underbelly, there is a negative part of it, the addictive nature of some elements of what you could get on your phone, but by and large, it made the world a better place. So am I being too uh, over the top optimistic about this? Yeah, we would agree. We think the world is a better place now. I think sometimes what happens is, you know, you probably heard it said that technology takes away jobs. You know, there's that sentiment out there, especially we're in a pace of rapid technological change. And some have compared to this, to what happened in uh, America in uh the late 1800s, early 1900s, that second industrial revolution. And during those rapid upheavals of change, you know, you do see a lot of creative destruction. So yes, technology can and has taken jobs away, but it's also created new industries and new jobs too. And that doesn't get as much press, that doesn't get as much attention. Just a couple of statistics to flesh this out. If you looked 1800, it's estimated that 80% of the American workforce worked on a farm. In 1910, 5% of the American workforce worked on the railways. In the 1940s, AT&T alone employed 350,000 manual telephone operators. So yeah. Chris, I'm guessing we don't have any more manual telephone operators. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm guessing we I don't. don't. Think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. But you know, now we have whole new industries, I mean, the software industry, you know, renewable energy. And uh, six out of 10 new jobs created are tied to the healthcare industry. So we moved from farm to factory, and now we're moving to a knowledge economy. And I, you know, I think how rapid things are changing, you know, that sort of leads to some of this thinking that, you know, maybe perhaps, you know, the prior generation was better off than today. But, you know, as we discussed the empirical evidence, you know, I think most people can agree that things have improved and uh, fingers crossed, hopefully we'll continue improving. Yeah, I mean, along those lines, my daughter is going to graduate uh, here in a little bit, and uh, she's a dual major, and one of her majors is um, business intelligence and analytics, which not too long ago wasn't even a thing. Mm -hmm. And now it's a major that's very much in demand because of all the information that's out there, having people that are trained so that they could compile data, interpret the data and make decisions based on the data. Um, I mean, that's basically sort of a brand new field. It's not to say that stuff didn't go on in the past, but now with the massive amount of data that companies can compile, that's a good example. Another one is on my LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not much of a social media guy, Mike, but you know, I do use LinkedIn quite a bit for business and networking and the like. I can't tell you how many invites I get from people that are, I'm going to say supposed, I have my doubts, but are digital marketing experts. I mean, when I went to school, I graduated college in 1992, there was no digital anything, let alone a digital marketing expert. So yes, there is that um, 
what do you call it? Uh, it was in the research, creative destruction. Mm -hmm. um, when you lose your job because your field or job industry is being eliminated, eliminated or greatly disrupted, of course, that's difficult for you. And I have empathy. But what we've seen in the U.S. economy is other jobs and industries are created, and it might be tough to get from here to there in the short term, but over the long term, the economy has shown a very, very good ability to make that happen such that the country moves ahead economically. So uh, I feel like we're like cheerleaders for capitalism today. Yeah, Chris, it's really well said. I mean, just think about it in 1800, if 80% of the workforce was on the farm, there wasn't a whole lot of time for creativity and, you know, exploration and various forms of entrepreneurship and, you know, with a much, much smaller piece of the population being employed to, you know, feed us, that's uh, opened up the doors for so many things. So just, yeah, small yeah. example. And we talked about several areas of innovation. You know, we mentioned payments, healthcare. Mm -hmm. We didn't even go into like AI, increased mm -hmm. computing power, um, space exploration, jets that go faster and more fuel efficient than the generation of aircraft we're dealing with today. Uh, there's a lot of progress being made on a multitude of fronts. I think the future is very bright, even though it might not seem like it, depending on how often you watch the news. <laughs> Yeah, no, well said. Uh, you know, one area at Franklin Templeton we're very excited about is genomics. And uh, roughly 20 years ago, the first human genome was mapped and it was at the cost of $2.7 billion. And uh, now you can map it for roughly $1,000, a human genome. And you mentioned data and why that's important is more genomes that get mapped, the more data there is. And with that data, we can employ hopefully novel therapeutics to, you know, treat diseases. So, you know, definitely a lot of interesting, exciting things coming down the pike. Good stuff. Good stuff. So again, my guest today, uh, Mike DeAngelis from Franklin Templeton, Vice President at Franklin Templeton. Uh, once again, thank you for taking a few minutes with me today. Oh, Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you for including me and Franklin Templeton. Have a great day. Yeah. So listeners, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And I always appreciate referrals mentioned to someone about the show and uh, have them check it out. You can also go to my website, ElliotWealth.com. There you could get more information about the work my team and I do to help our clients uh, win with money and increase their financial IQ. Thanks for listening today. I will be back with you on the next episode of the Simply Financial podcast very soon. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies 
websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with SagePoint Financial.